So what do you think? I have a store. I own a store. Is there anything in it you want? What would you choose? And don't tell me awakening, please. <laughs> Maybe. Your mind. My mind, ah. Maybe, maybe. That's actually pretty easy to get. My mind is pretty simple. Yuma. Wisdom? No, you don't want that. Ten billion dollars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it's getting a little closer to the truth. <laughs> what would you do with your ten billion dollars? I'm not sure that if you'd got $10 billion, this would be the first place you came. Maybe five years on the French Riviera, ten years in... Anyway. Mm. Non-clinging relationships. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's, it sounds good, and I approve all your choices. But I think uh, if you look under the surface, wouldn't you just choose comfort? Mm. I mean, let's say you could just be comfortable. Wouldn't all be here if you chose that. Sorry? We wouldn't be here if you chose No, it's, it's because you can't get it that you're here. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, you just argue. Let's stick with me for a bit. Arguably, it's because you can't find comfort that is sustainable, maintainable, and non-interruptible that you're here. If you were, I mean, you know, face it, right? If you were, like, comfortable, fill in the blank anywhere. Ottawa, Switzerland, Ireland, Japan. Wouldn't you just be there? Isn't it the discomfort that drives you? Yes. Yeah. And yet, if I had a store and I could just give you comfortable, I mean sustainable, maintainable, uninterruptible, unquestioned refuge and comfortability, wouldn't you be there? I would. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but that's where I'd be. Mm-hmm. What's with all this other stuff? Why bother? That's not interest. Sensor. I'm sorry? That's not interest. Comfortable? Yeah. No. Interest is not very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Interest, by definition, questions. Mm-hmm. No, why, why does that... Interest is a question, and question is by nature disturbing. You know, well, how does that work? Or, what's this about? Or, why does that... Why does that... When that happens, why does this happen? Cause and effect, right? It's a question in my mind. I've got to check this quote. I'd rather be a discontented human than a comfortable pig. So, the argument that you have to deal with, the question you have to face, is can I find the comfort somewhere? And that's why you're not awakened. Insofar as you're not awakened yet, it's because you still think you're going to find comfort somewhere. Be very clear about this. Awakening isn't particularly comfortable. What it is, is you've abandoned the idea that you're ever going to get absolutely comfortable. Now, we're not desiring that you are uncomfortable. Don't get me wrong, it's not that we desire you to be uncomfortable. We're simply stating that the nature of the beast is that comfortable is not attainable as a uh, paradigm that is maintainable, undisturbable, complete, total, uh, etc. And therefore, if there's even one tiny little black dot of paint in that can of white, 
of discomfort. You'll never ever feel comfortable with what you're comfortable with when you are comfortable. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because you'll always be waiting. <laughs> you'll always have one ear to the ground for that one little drop of black paint in a can of white. Right? And that little dot of black paint in the white can will make current comfort unreliable in your mind. Even if you could be comfortable for a hundred years and you knew that there was one uncomfortable moment coming, <laughs> only a small moment coming, you couldn't be completely comfortable. How long did I say? In a, for those 99.999 years because you never knew when the discomfort was going to come. Therefore, the Buddha's first noble truth is you can't get comfortable. Sabe, Sankara, Dukkate, all formations are in some degree of struggle. Now, we're not saying you don't get comfortable some of the time, and we're not even saying that you shouldn't be comfortable most of the time. We're quite happy that you're comfortable most of the time. The problem is, is that in the pursuance of comfort, and the struggle to maintain comfort, and in the efforts to to get away from and destroy and eliminate comfort, or discomfort, sorry, you're constantly in a struggle with it. If only in terms of its avoidance. If you're constantly avoiding discomfort, seeking comfort, then even when you're comfortable, there's 30% of you that are just uh, yeah. checking it out, make sure nothing uncomfortable is coming. That doesn't make comfortable very comfortable. So how do most people handle that? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. My conscious mind tells me that although I'm perfectly comfortable in the moment, that it's unlikely to be maintainable endlessly. Something's going to come and get me. If nothing else, then old age, sickness, decay, and death. One day, whatever my objects of comfort are, they're going to be gone. Therefore, even if I can be totally comfortable for the next, say you're 50 years old, for the next 40 years, up to your 90th birthday, then the discomfort is going to come and when I have to leave all these things behind that would make me comfortable now. Say you're in good physical shape. You work hard at that, don't you? I mean, well, a lot of you do. Work hard at staying in good, good physical shape. It's going to end. At some point in your life, you're going to be, you know, you've seen the old guys, the old people in the stores, even the healthy Swiss mountaineers, you know, the bones crack a little and they're not moving so fast and no, you know you might be lucky and have perfectly good health right up to the end even so if uh, if these are the objects of refuge they're all taken away no you're going to die and all that good health will be for naught we're not arguing obviously for bad health <laughs> that's not the point no. the point is is that the reason you're not awakened now insofar as you're not and the reason that your awakening is being slowed down, insofar as it is, is because you still unconsciously, unknowingly, unawaredly still looking for that comfort fix that can't be interrupted. And as I said, we're not interested in you in being uncomfortable. So we come along, the teachers, and we say, look, this is the fact. The fact is that there is no uninterruptible comfort to be found. Therefore, what is it that makes us seek comfort? What is it that makes us be addicted to comfort? What is it that interrupts comfort? What is it that gets in the way of comfort? 
what can we do about this? Can we be free of this discomfort? First noble truth. What do you do about the discomfort? What do you do about the struggle? So the beginning of the spiritual path, fundamentally, is when you say, it's not going to work. There's no way I'm getting comfortable. Okay, brief moments of time, even years, fine. But sooner or later, this discomfort's going to come along and get me, if only for a short period of time. And insofar as that's the case, then I'm going to always have a little bit of my mind wondering whether this is the day I'm not going to be comfortable. I can't get away from it. I can't escape it. There's no logical, intelligent, emotional, physiological escape from this. When that point becomes indelible in your consciousness and you know for a fact that you're not going to be able to do it sustainably, right? It's not sustainable. You can't maintain it. So now you're faced with, oh, so life's going to be miserable for the next 50 years? Well, that's not really the same thing, is it? We're not saying life's going to be miserable either. We're going to have a lot of good times. You know, parties, dances, songs, singing, dancing, all, you know, interesting work, interesting explorations, interesting discoveries. That's fine. Saying that you can never get comfortable doesn't imply you're always going to be miserable. Right? However, as I said before, your current pleasure will always have a tinge of black pain in it because you know somewhere along the line a bad day is coming. Yeah. And so the question is, if you can ignore that, you're an average person. That's basically what they do, right? They ignore the fact that there's going to be some misery in their life. Or you, you resign yourself to the fact that a certain amount of uncomfort is going to happen in your life and you just kind of ride through it. That's also an ordinary person. And so if you're so insensitive that this discomfort isn't enough to motivate you to see whether or not there's a way to be free from the discomfort, then you're an ordinary person. The minute that the discomfort is too unbearable to bear, insofar as you know that you're not uncomfortable right now, but you could be next week, next month, or next year, and you've had enough of that, then you have to go, okay, what's the cause of the discomfort? The cause of the discomfort isn't making peace with the fact that it's discomfort. This is really key. Until you make your peace with the fact that discomfort is uncomfortable, and therefore, is there a way to do something about this uncomfortableness, there'd be no real motivation to do it. You keep hoping against hope something's going to come along and save you. And since it isn't out there, eventually, one way or the other, people end up in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, the drug bit would be everything from pharmaceuticals to possessions. Possessions are drugs. Bigger bank account, uh, bigger car, bigger house. Huh? Sex is any kind of distracting activity that keeps your mind occupied. Yoga, meditation, uh, in the positive, taking you closer, but in the negatives, like uh, uh, going to football games or cheering for the hockey team, you know, like, okay, this year's hockey season will make it for me. So that's the sex bit. Right? And the rock and roll, well, you know, the next new thing that you haven't found yet. Rock and roll representing the changing interest. Oh, well, last year I was into macrame. This year I'm going to do uh, modern dance. And next year I'll do uh, yoga. yoga. The year after that I'm going to I'm going to move to a different country and I'm going to learn Chinese. 
none of these things bad in themselves. None of these things are, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff particularly, except the fact that it's just kind of shadowing the fact that you're not really facing the, the stark reality, right? That, that none of this is going to make you comfortable. Mm-hmm. You can have a bad day in Japan as easily as you have a bad day in Vancouver, as easily as you can have a bad day in L.A. When you finally come to terms with the fact that you cannot escape the discomfort from the point of view of looking for comfort, then you have to meet the existential reality, How? what do I do with the discomfort? So if if you say that 90% of your time is comfortable and 10% of your time is uncomfortable, then you can be an ordinary person which is just kind of slide through the 10% and wait for the 90% to kick back in. But if your sensitivity levels are high and you can't put up with the 10% of discomfort, then you got to turn to squarely face the discomfort and what do you do then? How do I manage, if I can put it that way, how do I manage, how do I transcend that 10% of discomfort? What's the number one way of transcending the discomfort? Face it. Well, face it, maybe. That may not change the fact that it's uncomfortable. Yeah, a necessary step. But what's the attitude? Face it is good, but what's the attitude? It's not personal. It's not personal. That helps. The discomfort isn't personal. In other words... Just because I'm uncomfortable doesn't mean I have to be uncomfortable. It's a view. Mm -hmm. Just because I'm in pain doesn't have to mean I have to be miserable. It's a view. It's an attitude. It's an opinion. It's a thought. It's a concept. It's not personal. Even when it's personal, it's not personal. It's just an attitude that may have biological and chemical and hormonal manifestations, but the hormonal chemical manifestations are there because the attitude, mind is the forerunner. Mind triggers those chemicals. Now those chemicals are habitualized to an action, the chemicals might turn on and the mind might follow. But initially the mind turned them on. So the number one way of transcending discomfort is to reframe it. This is not discomfort. This is a fascinating formation of the mind. The reason you don't like being uncomfortable is because you don't like how it feels, but the reason it's uncomfortable is because you've identified that feeling as being uncomfortable. So let's change the idea. This feeling is not uncomfortable. I love this feeling. But Sensei, that would make me a masochist. No, no, my children. You are already masochists by thinking that uncomfortable is uncomfortable. It's too late. Seems easy? Why don't you do it? Because, as I was saying to someone earlier today, you have a paradigm running in your head at any given moment in time. And this paradigm is true because it's running in your head. Or you have a paradigm in your emotional body This is true because it's running in your emotional body. Or you have a physiological paradigm running. And this is true because you have a physical paradigm. In other words, what is true is what is happening. What is happening is true. What is true is happening. Therefore, this is true. End of story. Fixed. If it's pleasant, I'm happy. If it's unpleasant, I'm sad. But because it's happening, that's the truth. But the point is, is that an hour ago you weren't feeling unhappy. So how come that was true then, and this is true now? 
It's like, why did it just change? And if it changed, how can it be true? Because it might be gone in an hour from now. So what you're really believing is that whatever arises, happy or sad, positive or negative, whatever arises in this moment is true, and therefore any other thing that could happen has to be a lie. Therefore, I am sad must be true because I'm feeling sad right now. But what happens if I, if you go, well, sad is sad, I'm happy about it. Then what happens to sad? It disappears. And then what does it mean to say you're sad if you're not sad about being sad? You must be happy. Or neutral. No. Let's get out of sad first. So... If life is a struggle, what's the first thing that has to change? The view. The view. <laughs> now, we're not arguing that life isn't a struggle. We're just saying, change how you view the struggle. From being a personal put-through of some kind, to a karmic manifestation of attitudes and beliefs that have been embedded in you over many years that you're accepting unquestionably. This is true because it's arising. It wasn't yours initially. No kid gets born into the world thinking, I'm unloved. The kid has to learn that. And we're not even sure where the kids has got the right message anyway. Right? Mommy may love you completely. I know you don't think so. And she said, wash your face. Go to bed. Don't talk like that. Sit up straight. Put your feet back on the floor. Take your finger out of your nose. Don't talk to people like that. And you go, non-love, 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 non right? non-love, non-love. Because, of course, we all know that love is absolute and total acceptance of our amazing wonderment and our human perfection and all its manifestations. Hell, even you can't even get along with your friends some of the time. So then how can, how can you be perfect if you can't get along? In other words, the nature of other is the nature of correction. I mean, correction when I mean... Even if two friends walking down the street... The corrections can simply be going around the high fire hydrant. You know, so I'm not correct, I'm not saying talking about correction in terms of you have a bad attitude, or I don't like what you're saying. I mean, just simply correction. Two people walking down the street, going around a bush. You're correcting your, you're adjusting your. Hmm. And if your friend's in the way and they're looking over here, then you got to push them over to get around the car, right? In other words, you're not perfect. The other mistake we've made somewhere along the line is to think that love means you have to be seen as perfect. Let this one sink in. If you love me, you must see me as being absolutely and totally perfect. Now, who do you think is perfect? Including me. <laughs> Nobody. Are you getting the message here? Nobody's perfect. And even if they were perfect, they couldn't be perfect. Because then if they're perfect, as soon as you walked in the room, they'd know you wanted the chair. And they'd get up and give you the chair. And then you would consider them imperfect for being too wishy-washy. <laughs> right? Or you'd walk in, you want the chair, and they didn't give you the chair. And then you'd accuse them of being selfish. <laughs> and then they'd say, well, do you want the chair? And you'd accuse them of being weak. And they say, I'm keeping the chair. And you accuse them of being arrogant. In other words, the only way for anything to be perfect is if it happens exactly the way you think it should happen all the time. 
and you don't even know what you think <laughs> all the time. It's logical. Mm -hmm. Ergo, perfection is imperfect. Mm? And if perfection is imperfect, then therefore the nature of nature is imperfect. Do you think the deer is walking along in the forest and going, I am a perfect deer, and the coyote comes along and kills the deer, and the deer says, you hate me. And the coyote is going, sorry, I'm just hungry. Hmm? Or no deer should ever get a broken leg. Or it should never rain on the deer. And like it only should be flowers and sunshine on the deer. And, and, then, and the deer should never get old or get stomach worms or you know, d dirt between its hooves or a twig in its ear. None of it should happen to poor deer. Deers are lovely. We love deers. Politically correct deers. Deer. Me. I mean, you know, I mean, you're intelligent people. You look at it and you go, this is ridiculous. And so where do you get the idea that you're supposed to go through life without any thorns? Or calluses or, or broken nails or stubbed toes? Or hurt feelings? Or critiques of your actions or behavior based on how it fits into a mandala? Given that you were trained by people who were insane, how do you figure you're supposed to be sane? I've been trained by insane people. And you're supposed to see me as perfectly sane. That's insane. So, why don't you just admit you're insane? <laughs> my parents are insane. My friends' parents are insane. I was raised to be insane. They were raised to be insane. But we should see each other as perfect. It is beyond weird. It's just, I mean, it's beyond even stupid. It's just completely and so totally out to lunch has to be laughable except we don't believe it. We should be perfect. Or we should be seen as being perfect. And as soon as you get a critique or, a, or somebody misses your birthday or, or they take the last piece of cake or, or they put their book on your chair or something, don't you freak in some mild or great manner? Don't you find this somewhat humorous? <laughs> but don't you experience it as painful? Yes. Mm -hmm. So why are you laughing now and experiencing it pain later? For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Thank you. Thank you.